0: This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter.
1: This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter.
0: And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Welcome to the Obsessive Viewer, we a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find back episodes at ovpodcast.com, find the blog at obsessiveviewer.com, and subscribe to the subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer. And, and if you want to help support the podcast, you can do that at patreon.com slash and you can also, of course, leave, a, leave, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, it helps out a ton. So, Tiny, how's it going,
1: buddy? Magnificently.
0: That is great to hear. Yes. We it is freezing and uh yeah.
1: soup's cold. It soup's cold. Yes. Um soup
0: is usually hot. So, today on the podcast, this is that was so dumb. Yeah. Um so today we're talking about rom-coms, of course, mm-hmm. as as teased in our last episode. We uh, but before that, I there's some stuff that we need to go through. First of all, uh today we officially got the official word that October 14th will be Sharktober November 3 sweetness Um, yes and we've actually reached the point where um like i sent i sent the email to to the irving theater and they're like yep i i inked you in there last october looking forward to it awesome so like we're we basically have that friday like locked down for the foreseeable future nice so yeah so that's good Mm -hmm. um Anyway, I want to share this uh, this uh, this email from, from Yasmin, who I referenced in OV151. Um, she's a long-time listener of the podcast. She's actually the one who recommended Letterboxd, so thank you for that, because that's freaking awesome. It is. Yeah, which, by the way, I've, I've added lists for... I don't remember if I mentioned this last episode, but I made lists of my entire DVD collection and my entire Blu-ray collection. Right. Yeah, which I just added two new Blu-rays to it, uh, Whiplash and nightcrawler so awesome yeah so so yeah it's kind of rare for me to buy physical media yeah these days me too so anyway so okay so i just want to briefly run through this listener email um because she took a lot of time to write it and uh it was awesome to hear so or to get so here's the email from yasmin Dear Obsessive Viewer Podcast, I remember Mike saying a while ago on an episode that he hopes OV is someone's favorite podcast and it should be obvious that it's my favorite. I checked out the, I, wow. I checked out the podcast for the first time a few years ago after Matt tweeted me recommending arrested development when I sent out a tweet about how Michael Sarah can only play one role, uh, and she put in parentheses, true. Uh, I doubt I would have watched the show out of my loathing for Michael Sarah. I actually re-listened to some episodes years ago after I listened to all the eps that you'd released, around 10 to 15 episodes at that time, which I never do with podcasts. I guess it's because I don't know anyone in real life who loves film and TV as much as I do, so it's great hearing your guys' opinions and recommendations. For example, Boardwalk Empire. I'm not sure whether I'd have watched the show if I hadn't heard about it on the podcast. Also, thanks for recommending Sleep With Me podcast. I should probably stick to listening, listening to that when I'm trying to fall asleep as I've stayed up listening to OV 151. And I'm embarrassed to say that I'd never read a Stephen King book until 2014 when I picked up Carrie after hearing Matt talking about King. Hope you guys continue the podcast for more years to come. Uh, longtime listener, Yasmin. P.S. Thanks for all the completely useless information on Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh you're welcome. <laughs> you're very welcome, Yasin. We been? suffered through that <laughs> just for you.
0: Yes. So, <laughs> so I was I was just super jazzed about that email cuz I mean, like she's one of our more outspoken uh uh listeners who contacts us via, you know, Twitter and and uh Facebook. Facebook, Instagram and uh um Letterboxd, the the thing <laughs> that she recommended us get. Yeah. Um so, but it, it was just really nice to to hear that, and we hope that we don't disappoint you or any of our listeners in the future. And we encourage everyone to email us. Uh, you can you 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 know where to email us. It's in the show notes, all that stuff. Right. Um. So yeah, having said that, should we do a brief rundown of some news items? Real Let's quick. Let's do it. Okay. Uh. So we're recording this like a handful of days after the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And uh, what did you think of the trailers that came out? I have a list of six here that we can run down really quickly um, throughout them because a lot of them are ones that – well, a few of them are ones that I talked about with uh, Fekas in our bonus episode about trailers recently. Uh So first up, Gods of Egypt, what do you think of that? Because it comes out in a couple weeks and –
1: yeah. Exactly. Uh, I could not be less interested in it. Right. <laughs> um, it looks, it, it's just weird. It looks like more of the swords and sandals stuff mm-hmm. that's really died out about a decade ago. Um, Gladiator kind of kicked it off and right. it's, I, I'm kind of sick of the genre really. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, more whitewashing of yes. stuff again, which ugh. is pretty, it's just so egregious it anymore. Um, Shameless and just, yeah. ugh. It's pretty bad.
0: It's also it's directed by uh, Alex Proyas who directed Dark City and The Crow. Okay. Yeah, which I mean those both are aesthetically pleasing but yeah. I didn't
1: I wasn't too crazy about The Crow, so this does not look to be in his wheelhouse really. Not so much. Weird. Everybody and, needs a paycheck, I guess.
0: Yeah, and I it's it, it might be because of the 300 this is Sparta meme and everything, but <laughs> I can't I just can't get excited about seeing uh, Gerard Butler in that role in a Sword and Sandals movie. Yeah. Me like,
1: either. At all. Yeah. Um, I don't really have a problem with Gerard Butler, but I, I, I don't care.
0: Right. Yeah. And it's funny because he he's going to be in um, uh, the sequel to Olympus Has Fallen, London Has Fallen, here uh-huh. in a couple of weeks. And, like, I mean, that looks like just kind of a garbage, you know, throwaway action movie. Yeah. Which the, the first one was kind of a nice... At points, kind of a nice throwback to like... Um, kind of fun. Yeah, kind of like 90s, that that 90s era of action movie that was very prevalent in the 90s. Yeah. Um, but this one, in the trailer for the this one, for London has fallen, has the, <laughs> has the has the line at the beginning of the trailer that makes me kind of want to see it, where uh, where Gerard Butler is running with the president, like you know for a jog with Secret Service all around and everything, yeah, and then uh, Gerard Butler turns to the turns to the president, uh, played by Aaron Eckhart I think, uh, and says, this is a heck of a presidential run. <laughs> so, oh my god! All right, he might have said presidential race, but oh, uh, that's funny. Yeah, so like, I'm I'm gonna have to see it now. But, uh, yeah,
1: I'm gonna see it at some point, but not in the theater.
0: Yeah, yeah well, I I will. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll make you review it for the podcast.
1: Nice. Um,
0: no. Uh, so okay. So. We're running long with all this. Let's let's just run through some of these other ones. Um really the only one that I want to talk about is the third one on the list, but let's let's save that for last and just talk about briefly each one of the next ones. 10 Cloverfield Lane. Have we talked about this at all?
1: Not much, I don't think. Okay. At all on the podcast. No. Yeah, it's uh man, I'm excited for it. I really am too. Mm-hmm. I will see that in the theater. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah that's going to be great.
0: Yeah, uh that and then Independence Day Resurgence is a movie that me and Fek has talked about. Um what, what's your
1: take on it? We always knew they'd come back. <laughs> yeah, I, god the move the first movie's just so much fun. Mm-hmm. Uh it's it, it is kind of over the top and and silly but just in such a such a well-done way right um you care about the characters and everything and so i think they're going to be able to carry that into a sequel Mm -hmm. it's been a while there's a very good chance it could suck right um but i have high hopes for it
0: yeah it'll be fun summer popcorn yeah um then captain america civil war looks you know great
1: um yes it does i really like the super bowl spot really the third like the 30 second trailer right because it just it showed so much more Mm -hmm. um kind of showed you all the characters <laughs> right it's pretty cool
0: the lineup of it i love the the hashtags uh during the um credits i guess credits yeah um that but um yeah and then uh the big one the big one i want to talk about tiny the Secret Lives of Pets. Um,
1: <laughs> I knew you were going to say that.
0: Yeah. I just, I love this concept for for a movie. And it's, yeah. it looks like it's going to be charming as hell. So. Oh, totally. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Um, and then finally, uh, you know his name, Tiny. It's Jason Bourne, the movie. Oh, yeah. Jason yeah. Bourne. Yeah. Did you see this trailer? <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. Okay. Uh yeah, what do you, what's your take on it? Because it's the fifth born movie. Matt Damon's back.
1: Yeah, I really love this series. Mm-hmm. Um, I own the trilogy on Blu-ray and DVD, and like it's one of those things I rewatch like every year. Nice. Um, I, I love the original trilogy. It's it's awesome. Um, and yeah. so it looks to be in the same the same vein level mm-hmm. of quality as as those movies. So as long as it maintains that quality, I'm I am all for it and I'm looking forward to it. Nice. It's uh it's <laughs> it's funny. There it, it,
0: the whole trailer is very dark like like dimly lit, very dark and right. uh, nighttime uh Filtered. shots. Yeah. And um it's funny someone I think someone tweeted someone on Twitter said something to the effect of it's like uh it's like <laughs> Um, Paul Greengrass watched uh, uh, the entire Fast and Furious franchise and then decided to make uh Born <laughs> Five. That's
1: funny. Um
0: but yeah, and there's a great a great YouTube um clip that I might just I might actually tack it on to here, but um it's just, it's just like a 10 or 15 second spot or whatever. That's just, it's the, a bit of the trailer saying like, you know, his name and then it shows Matt Damon. And then, uh, instead of, instead of showing Jason Bourne, they just have the audio from Team America. Like,
1: yeah. Matt Damon. <laughs> Love it. So great. Speaking of funny stuff in movies mm. and the Super Bowl. um, mm-hmm. there was a really funny meme that made its way around the internet of, uh, the part in Forrest Gump where, Uh, forrest gump goes to the black panther meeting okay and it's but what it is the meme is uh peyton manning's face superimposed over forrest gump's and it just says sorry i ruined your sorry i ruined your super bowl panther party (laughs) 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 because they played the panthers that's ridiculous it's so funny (laughs) and it's like a really good edit or whatever nice
0: so yeah and I'm, i'm looking forward to um jason bourne As well. It looks like anything after the born or the born legacy is hopefully going to be a step up. I wasn't a fan of that movie. Yeah. Um, Okay. So then finally to wrap up this news segment, I just want to talk really quickly about um, the news that broke. I think uh, as of this recording, it broke like yesterday or the day before Um, Brian Fuller. Uh, the showrunner of Hannibal, which I'll talk about in Potpourri and uh, Pushing Daisies and some other stuff, I'm sure. Uh, he was named the showrunner for CBS's new Star Trek series that's going to come out next year. Nice. Um, which after seeing after seeing about ten episodes of Hannibal, I am super excited for this. Cool. Because that dude, he like he did very well with with that property, um, and apparently he's a huge huge Trekkie. Nice. Um, I think he actually got his start writing for like Deep Space Nine or Voyager or something. Okay. So and like he he has an encyclopedic knowledge of it. The only thing tiny about this is that it's not going to be airing on CBS. It's going to be on CBS's All Access digital streaming uh, service. Which that's weak. It is. It it has me nervous. Apparently, from from my research, it's five ninety nine a month, which. Yeah. That's not that's not a problem for me because I from my thinking is wait for the season to air or be loaded, pay the 5.99, you basically have access to Star Trek for a month yeah. to watch it and then it's it's $6 for a season. It's it's not that big of a deal. Right. Um but the thing is, this reminds me of quite a bit of community going to Yahoo Screen. Yeah, which, granted, Star Trek is a much bigger property. Yeah, <laughs> um, and CBS probably has more money to throw at it than uh, than Yahoo had for community. But still, it's just, it's just, it makes me uneasy to think that um, CBS, a major major network, is going to. Uh, is going to resurrect a, or I guess resurrect is the right word. Um, bring back a, this 50 year old, uh, franchise back to television for the first time in a long time. Um, and then just put it on this digital streaming package service. That's already in a world where we're already pretty much, um, uh, diluted with, uh, uh, or oversaturated, oversaturated with different streaming services. It's, it's just, it's. I don't know. It makes me uneasy. But Brian Fuller being attached to it, may, gives me a lot more confidence.
1: Yeah, it's weird. It's such a valuable property. They would stick it on a, on their own untested digital streaming service. Right. Like if if they, I don't know. I guess if someone was bringing it back on Netflix or Hulu, I'd be. It would make more sense, but. Right. Just on CBS's digital streaming. So you're like, "What? They they, have, they right. have a digital streaming service?" I didn't even know that. Yeah. So, hey, yeah, that's that does not inspire confidence.
0: Right. Yeah, so I mean, who knows? We'll we'll check back in like a year or so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that does it for our news segment this week. Um, our new news segment because it's the second time doing it. Um, so Tiny today, we're doing something that we haven't done. I've been wanting to do this for like close to three years
1: now it is on at the rom-com con oh my god um (laughs) (laughs) yeah we've been talking about doing a rom a rom-com episode for a long time
0: yes every every uh second or third week of february or i can't count second week of february (laughs) i've wanted to do a rom-com episode that coincides with uh with valentine's day and we're finally doing it finally um yeah so so I mean, this is such a big, big genre <laughs> yeah, and it's and, and it's been a while since we've done a topic episode like this, so bear with us here. Uh-huh. Um, romantic comedies this is a very broad topic, um mm-hmm. incredibly broad, and what we're doing here is we have a list of a master list of several several, several movies uh, divided up into a few different categories um for it like we have uh, a very short list of classics that we're going to touch on for for a second and then we're going to go into more formulaic epi- or formulaic entries in the rom-com genre and then we'll end it with some fresh takes or unique spins on the genre so that's a, basically our rundown for it but before we get to that i kind of want to talk about the romantic comedy as a property as a genre and how we feel about it um I for one am a very outspoken uh supporter of the rom-com genre. Mm-hmm. Um although, <laughs> although apparently I have a history of telling like like dates that I'm I don't like them. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, I like I don't it's it's weird cuz it's not like I'm very self-conscious about it but it's it's like I've I've uh I've subconsciously told told like women I've I've been out with like not subconsciously but like just kind of saying like yeah and like downplayed it because I don't want to scare them why I, I find other ways to do that right um, <laughs> 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 but I I'm I'm just such uh, there's something about the romantic comedy that I just love it's I mean it's hard to put my finger on it. it's kind of the reason why I I love I loved. How I Met Your Mother because it felt like a, a complete twenty-two minute romantic comedy movie most weeks, um and and in theory it was supposed to be a <laughs> one giant romantic comedy, but mm-hmm. they kind of fumbled it at the end there. Yeah. Um, but for movies, it's just it's something that it's this is probably the most I, I want to say approachable or the most uh, playable kind of movie. It's kind of a good background. A good rom-com is, is a good background movie. There's some that aren't that great, but it's always like, even if it's following the standard rom-com formula, it's still, I mean, it's still somewhat pleasant. You can find pleasure in it oh, yeah. um, here and there. Um, So, yeah. So, Tiny, what,
1: how do you feel about rom-coms? Uh, I'm a big fan as well. I, unabashedly, I think it's, I don't think there's anything wrong with loving rom-coms because there's it's i think part of the reason why it's kind of stigmatized is because uh as we will mention there's a lot of formulaic uh formulaic movies that come out from this mm-hmm. from this genre um and i think i think that's kind of just a symptom of success really uh, i think that just kind of right. you know when anything when any kind of genre or, or style becomes successful you get a saturation of it and and that leads to quality issues um So I can understand why people would uh, would have some qualms about this genre, but there's so much good stuff, or there's at least at the very least there's a ton of gems within the genre that I don't think we really need to be embarrassed (laughs) about the fact that we like it because it's it's funny stuff, it's quality writing, it's Hmm. good acting, it's. It's it's good stories. Like I don't I don't think we need to have a sti- have a, a stigma or a complex about it.
0: Um, yeah, even the even the most the most uh, trite or formulaic or, or um wrote romantic comedy, even those are they can be saved by good chemistry between the main actors. for true. In the movie, it's like if you if you've in it's. Kind of what makes rom coms a little unique is that they're almost dependent on the chemistry of its of the romantic leads, mm-hmm. rather than at some t- sometimes rather than the uh, material itself. So it's 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 kind of unique in that sense. And it's I mean, when you have good chemistry along with good writing and good direction and and uh, a, a fresh take on it, it, like it can be magical. Like one of these movies may I I I, I don't do like top 10 lists or anything. Mm -hmm. I actually, I actually, slight tangent. I'm thinking that when I eventually, and this is way down the line, when I eventually go through my entire backlog of my journals for, for movie watching, uh, and add it all to letterboxd, I might take a, uh, I might use that data and compile like a, like an actual top 10 favorite movies list out of everything. Cause cool. Cause basically they'd have to all be there. Cause if I have top 10, if I have a top 10 list of my favorite movies of all time, there's no way that I'm not going to have watched them in the last five years.
1: Yeah. True. So true.
0: But yeah. Um, but having said that, like there's one movie on this list in particular that's is, uh, would without question be on it. Um, it's yeah. one of my favorite movies. So yeah. So rom-coms we're, yeah. we're
1: here, we're here to, I, I wonder what it is about the genre that's appealing to us. I mean, well, I'm a
0: hopeless romantic tiny. I just, yeah. I love
1: love, Matt. Right. I love love. Okay. <laughs> and I love to laugh. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, that sounds cheesy as hell, but it's, you know, I think everyone's looking for companionship and some sure. respect, and there's, it's relatable. It's just relatable. Mm-hmm. Most people have had silly dating mishaps or they've had really deep heartbreaks and stuff like that it's just it's a relatable subject
0: my life is a rom-com tiny
1: (laughs) is it (laughs) who does the score
0: (laughs) not me oh god (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna make a note of the time on there because i might need to cut that out you should leave it in I probably will.
1: That's beautiful. <laughs> oh man. Anyway. Anyways.
0: So let's go. Let let's let's talk about some classics. Really. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, anyway, so so I have a list of four classics here. It it's worth it's worth a caveat that I I didn't I haven't had a chance to I've never watched Pretty Woman. Me either. Um, which is you know. A classic in its own right, so so it's omitted from this list, um, shamefully. Um, if you want to berate us about our shameful. exclusion of it, yes, shameful. Please email us about that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's but we have four classics here, four classics here, and I'll will just run through them really quickly, and then we can talk about them. We can talk about these point by point, really, but I'll just run through them really quickly for the listeners. Anyhow, when Harry met Sally, Sleepless in Seattle, and Notting Hill. Mm -hmm. so let's start with annie hall have you've seen this right yeah i have it on dvd oh nice yeah i need to buy it too um i i've talked about this before because i think last last year or a while ago mike our co-host who's on sabbatical from the podcast he uh watched it for the first time and while i'm i'm not too familiar with woody allen's work overall and he has a just a lot of work to get through yeah um i've heard really good things about midnight in paris i really need to see that but um Annie hall is just it's it speaks to me as because for the from just from the outset you have woody allen just speaking to the audience um saying that uh just talking about how he and Annie broke up and how he's going through like it's basically uh him talking it's him soliloquy sol- soliloquizing I don't know if that's a word it is now i like uh, it it is yeah <laughs> he soliloquizes all over us that he's going through a breakup and recounting the i don't know where that came from um he's he's talking about the breakup and how he basically basically spewing out his neuroses at the audience and it's it's like it's one of those scenes that I think is a great a great great um, opening scene to a movie uh-huh. it 's just it 's amazing. I remember the first time I saw this movie actually I think I rented it from google play it 's been it was like a few years ago actually. And I remember like seeing that. This is the first I'd, I'd seen. This may have been the first Woody Allen movie I'd ever seen e- either, or as well. But um, I remember seeing that scene, and then once it ended, I remember like like before it even went to the went to the movie, I I rewound it and played it again <laughs> because it was so I was just so impressed by it. And in the movie itself, it, it's. I mean, it's it's charming. It's mm-hmm. and and it's really good. It's been a couple of years since I have seen it, so I I don't really have a a fresh take on it. But I I was I came away from it just really appreciating it as a uh, as a pillar of the romantic comedy genre. Uh, what do you think of it?
1: Agreed. I, I think the uh, the scene you're talking about the is, is indicative of why it's such a, a, a quality movie and why people like it so much. It's just th- the level of candor from the lead character is is kind of unprecedented. I mean, you're just it, it's like you're having a conversation with your buddy after a breakup. Right. And and again, so many people can just relate to that and so many people have been there and know what it's like that you're automatically interested. You know, everyone wants to know, oh, who's who's dating who and who who just broke right. up. It's 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 juicy gossip, but it's intriguing and mm. and, and that scene and really, this whole movie has that feel to it. It has a, it has a a high level of candor and, and, and inclusiveness that really speaks to the audience, and and, and it's just funny. I mean, it's oh, yeah. a funny movie. The, oh, yeah. um, um, the part where they're trying to cook the lobsters, right? It's just It's just a classic. It's oh, just yeah. A, It's yeah. It's an iconic oh, scene, yeah. and it's. I think that's that's one of those things that I think when people think of like an ideal. Level of comfort and uh, an, an ideal relationship to have with someone—you kind of think of a situation like that where right. things are going horribly, but you're laughing. Mm-hmm. That's just—it's just a really great scene. Annie it's a Hall's classic great. for a reason. Yeah,
0: I need to—I need to revisit it. I need to own it. Um, yeah, and everything. Um, the next on the list, also worth mentioning, Annie Hall is not the—I'll—I'll I'll go through probably not each one, but um, I'll say that Annie Hall is not the one that is one of my favorite movies of all time. Okay. So the next one is When Harry Met Sally, Mm -hmm. which I just recently, this is one that I was able to rewatch recently. And man, just this movie, like I remember seeing it for the first time um, a a long time ago and not really being too crazy about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've seen it like this is probably my third or fourth time overall seeing it um, over the course of the last probably what, seven, eight years. Mm Mm-hmm. And every time I see it, it just grows on me more and more. And the chemistry between um, um, uh, Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan is just so it's it's really really charming and, and just great. And I feel like <laughs> I feel like the word charming is going to come up a lot in this because yeah, that's kind of a, a big part of the romantic comedy. Uh-huh. Um, but just it takes such a great. Um, Concept. It's this this concept that men and women can't be friends without um, uh, sex being involved or, or relationshipy stuff getting involved, mm-hmm. and it's it's such a plain, pretty much universal topic. Um, and it's it just it doesn't necessarily deconstruct it, but it it pits its characters into this world where this this rule resides and it's it's just seeing them growing closer together and it's just a really well-made movie and then of course i mean (laughs) it's worth mentioning that seeing meg ryan in this recently it's like this is the most charming woman i've ever seen yeah it's like she's freaking adorable and she plays Mm -hmm. the part so incredibly well
1: yeah she's she's like idyllic Mm -hmm. in this in this movie um yeah and i agree i love when harry met sally probably my favorite of the classics we're mentioning is nice. When Harry Met Sally. I've, I've been a big Ooh. fan of this movie since I was a kid. Um, I remember seeing this when I was too young because the iconic scene where Mm -hmm. she does the fake orgasm in the restaurant uh i was like eight or nine i was like what's why don't what's happening i just had no idea what was going on right i didn't know what that was (laughs) um but years later it's even funnier to me because i just picture eight-year-old me being having no idea what's (laughs) happening and it's it's just even funnier to me so it's just kind of personal i guess Mm -hmm. um my relationship to the movie i've been a huge billy crystal fan Again, probably earlier than I should have, given mm-hmm. the the level of maturity in his comedy. Um, I loved him as a kid, and he's. I remember a couple of years ago he did an HBO special about. Uh, oh about yeah, his father passing away, right. um, and it was one of the best shows I've ever seen. Like it brought me to tears, and mm-hmm. I laughed my ass off at the same time. Nice. He's just a, a wildly talented man and just hilarious. Um, so I, I I think they tapped into his talent in that movie. Wonderfully, Um, he's charming as well as Mae Ryan. So mm. it's just an awesome movie.
0: Nice. Yeah. I, uh, of course I agree with all, all of that. Um,
1: and to your point again, perfect chemistry.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And then we have this one I haven't seen in a long time and we can probably double this up with, I don't know if, the, I don't know if it's, um, uh, if, if the not sequel, but if, if it's counterpart is really, classic worthy but um Mm -hmm. sleepless in seattle and you've got mail okay um sleepless in seattle i remember (laughs) my memory of this movie i haven't seen it for a few years now but um i remember growing up i remember it being like my mom's favorite movie and i and i feel (laughs) and i feel like that's i feel like that's that's something that people will be able to relate to because i feel like romantic comedies like are every romantic comedies one of them is always someone's mom's favorite movie. Yeah,
1: usually. <laughs> That's like
0: the tagline for the genre. <laughs> and Sleepless in the Seattle was my mom's favorite movie yeah. uh growing up, me growing up. Um and I just remember I mean there's I, like I don't I don't remember much about it from seeing it, but I do remember like iconic scene, scenes from it. The scene on the uh Empire State Building. It's just the chemistry between again meg ryan and and tom hanks tom hanks is like he's magnificent in everything so Mm -hmm. um do you have you seen it recently do you have fresher a
1: fresher take on it than i do i really don't i for some reason this movie and i never connected really uh not and it's not because i have criticisms of it or i i thought it was a bad movie i just i don't know i think i was just never in the right place whenever i saw it i think i've seen it like twice Mm -hmm. and it's neither time did it really grip me um but again, I'm not trying to take anything away from it. I uh, I really just need to see it again mm-hmm. as a as a um as an adult and everything. Right. Uh same thing with You have Got Mail. Mm-hmm. Um that one I think I'm a little critical of. I, I saw that one for the first time. I actually mentioned it on the podcast. Yeah. Um th- the format in which I watched it was less than ideal.
0: Right, it was on T V. It was on T V like with commercials breaks.
1: and yeah, it was with a bunch I was with family and stuff, mm-hmm. so um, but I, I wasn't as crazy about You've Got Mail. Um, mm-hmm. I really just need to see both again, right? To really have a, a solid opinion on them.
0: Yeah, You've Got Mail. It I've I've watched it fairly recently too. It's um, it, it's not as great as my memory of Sleepless in Seattle by any stretch, but um, and it doesn't have as like iconic sequences from it or mm-hmm. anything. But I do I do like it as a um, as a depiction of a big business taking over small business because the, yeah. the movie's about Meg Ryan being a small small bookstore owner and Tom Hanks being the, like, uh, uh head of a major corporation that's going to try to buy them out. Um, and So it has some really good stuff to say about that. I would kind of be... This is... I, I don't know. I'm spitballing here, but it would be interesting to see a third pairing between Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan Yeah, that's, like, them, like like i don't know meeting on tinder swapping <laughs> swapping nudes on snapchat or something <laughs> just something to show the evolution of the technology because is in seattle was radio um you've got mail's email and then now yeah this generation has snapchat and tinder and swiping right swiping right yeah yeah um <laughs> So, yeah, so yeah, we can move on to the last one in our classics classics section is uh Notting Hill, which I just recently watched last night for the first time um it's it was a disappointment to me, oh really yeah, and it's it's very well regarded um I couldn't get past the <laughs> uh from the beginning, I couldn't really get past the um the, the there's a bit on Family Guy where they, it's like a cutaway gag in one of the early seasons where, um, where Brian says something to the effect of, "Remember that time you went to the movies and and Peter got jealous and it just shows them at, hu- <laughs> at a movie starring Hugh Grant called What's My Appeal and it <laughs> it just shows a shows Hugh Grant on the screen saying like stuttering and being like well I, I don't I don't I, I I just I don't know I just um I I'd like to say something but I I I I I just find myself so charmingly befuddled <laughs> um and that's what was in the back of my head the whole movie but um I don't know it, it's not that Notting Hill didn't have Notting Hill didn't it's not that Notting Hill didn't have chemistry because there was some really good chemistry between Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant. Uh, Hugh Grant plays a kind of just normal, normal guy who by chance meets uh, a movie star uh, played by Julia Roberts and they kind of uh, start a romantic relationship. Um, didn't really buy the relationship though. Really? Yeah. There's a, there's a bit of a twist part way through first of all it also took like 45 minutes of them meeting and building up their relationship which it's it was kind of i don't know it was a little meandering uh, like it was kind of like i'm not i, I was kind of buying it and going with it and everything but once there's a turn in the plot when there's a reveal about julia roberts it's like okay that's all right tough breaks that's a tough break you but move on um <laughs> and then it just kind of the movie just kind of Kind of continued on and did the standard romantic comedy thing, but I went ahead and still put it under classics because it's it's well regarded despite my uh, disappointment. Tiny, what did you think of Notting Hill?
1: It, it I understand why you put it on the classics list. It makes sense because it is it is just well regarded and right. I think it's mentioned amongst classics. So, right. um, I saw this like when it came out, mm. which was like what ninety seven. I think 99 99 Mm -hmm. so I was 12 um (laughs) it was over my head and I really just didn't I I really didn't get it and I honestly do not remember it at all really so I I basically haven't seen it Hmm. yeah
0: there's a really great segment where basically Julia Roberts has met Hugh Grant and uh they share a kiss and then she basically um orchestrates it to where he gets um invited up to her her hotel but Unbeknownst to him, it's, it's a, um, a press junket for a movie she's in. So he has to, he, he lies and says, yeah, my name's William, whatever, um, I'm with, and then he looks at a, um, a magazine on the counter and it's a, it's a horse magazine. It's like, I'm from Horse and Hound. <laughs> And so, it's like, this is, this, this really elevated it. Like, this was my favorite part of the entire movie is that he has his meeting with Julia Roberts and then as he's about to leave, he, uh, uh, he gets, he gets taken into the press junket. Like, he <laughs> has to interview the actors for the movie and everything. And it's, it's a space movie and like there was a couple, like there was one scene where he's like, um, like he's he's so charmingly befuddled um, <laughs> that at one point he's at one point he keeps asking if there's horses in it, <laughs> and if there's horses in their next movie, and that sounds <laughs> funny because it's Horse and Hound. But um, right. But yeah, so so I liked that, um, but the movie itself I was just not too keen on. Gotcha. So, um, those are the classics that we have. That's kind of a good jumping off point to get to the more formulaic movies. On the list, and we don't really need to talk about every single one of these, but because we have a list of uh, 12 on here, mm-hmm. and that's just me off the top of my head. Right. <laughs> like, there are several movies. There's there's a whole string of... Uh, we could probably do a sequel to this episode that's just teen rom-coms. Yeah. That's actually... I'm going to write that down. That's actually going to be an idea for next year. <laughs> um, I'm not kidding. I'm writing it down right now. Um <laughs> 90s team rom-coms even. So anyway, um but yeah, these these are kind of the tropish tropish movies. Uh, I've seen not embarrassed to say I've seen all of them except for one, I think. But I'll just run through the list and we can talk one by one through these. These are the formulaic These are kind of the middle ground of romantic comedies. Yeah. Um <laughs> with one notice noticeable like horrible one by my account i don't know if you've seen it but first one is failure to launch
1: mm-hmm.
0: which has matthew mcconaughey yep. and um sarah jessica parker right yeah yeah i watched this movie for the first time like a year and a half ago i think mm-hmm. and i may have brought it up on the podcast i don't remember but this this might be the most romantic comedy romantic comedy <laughs> because it follows every cliche it does it's like it's it's unreal to me yeah um great supporting cast though there's zoe de chanel yeah. there's justin bartha justin
1: bartha's great in this
0: yeah like that's one thing that can be said about failure to or not failure to launch but the rom-com genre which i'm convinced i'm gonna fumble those words at some point in this podcast (laughs) rom-com genre um (laughs) but it's it there's a lot of like i don't want to say that there it's a good starting point for a lot of people but it's it's um if you go back there's a lot of small small parts for people that have big roles or or take big uh
1: um uh have big careers afterwards yeah it's kind of like um the horror of comedy
0: a little bit,
1: because a lot of a lot of actors get their start in horror movies. Yeah, a lot of comics or comedic actors get mm-hmm. their start in, in
2: yeah, in yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, I, I'm sticking to it. I yeah. I'm, I'm claiming that. Yeah, um. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. Failure to launch is like you could plug it into a computer mm-hmm. for uh, that's how formulaic it is. Yeah, um, but again, kind. I mean, it's kind of fun to watch. It is like, yeah. Like it, it, I, by no means is it like a really good movie or anything, but mm. it's just one of those things. Like, oh, I bet this is going to be the point where there's <laughs> diversity in their relationship. Oh, and sure enough, there it is. Um, it's a good background movie. All of these are is. good background movies except for one that
0: I hate with a passion. But, okay. Um, but yeah, so so yeah, that's that's failure to launch. Um, not really much stands out about it. I think a bird dies in it, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Okay so next one I I just remembered that there was one that is kind of a contemporary of it or or really just a movie that I saw at the same time I saw this movie. Okay. <laughs> but there's 27 Dresses and um Maid of Honor. Oh yeah. Yeah, we can talk about each one in in, uh, in particular. I, we could probably done. I think 27 Dresses was that Katherine Heigl?
1: It was. Was it yeah. Katherine Heigl and Maid of Honor?
0: No, no, no. Um I don't think so. I don't remember who the female lead was in uh that but it both of both surrounding weddings uh romantic comedies all that stuff also yeah it, it's a it's a loose connection, but um maid of honor had uh uh patrick um patrick dempsey patrick dempsey uh mick dreamy from uh from that was one it j lo no um but anyway, there's only like five actresses right <laughs> <laughs> like total in the world whatever. yeah that that could be in the movie right. <laughs> but let's talk about 27 Dresses first because it's, it's, we'll go, we'll go point by point. I'm sorry, <laughs> everyone. Uh, okay. So 27 Dresses, I'm looking at the IMDb page and I don't really, I don't remember much about it. I just remember thinking like this is, uh, this is a rote rom com. Right. Kind of just going through the paces. It's, it's about a woman who is, uh, bridesmaid 27 times and, uh, Uh, after serving as a bridesmaid 27 times a young woman wrestles with the idea of standing by her sister's side as her sibling marries the man she's secretly in love with um don't really like i like i said i don't really remember much about it but it's Catherine heigl in a rom-com yeah yeah what was james is james marsden in this yeah he was the he was the lead the the co-lead
1: okay i remember there's a scene where they're at a bar that's actually a decent scene but okay yeah for the most part i don't remember a lot of this movie and it's it's kind of you know a lot of a lot of rom-coms will have this like this certain aspect of like diversity that Mm -hmm. makes it that like that like the writer thinks they're setting themselves apart from other rom-coms like in failure launch it's matthew McConaughey's never moved out from diversity or adversity 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 is what i meant yeah um But, like, you know, Matthew McConaughey has never moved out from his parents' home, even though he's in his late 30s. Right. 27 dresses. She's been a bridesmaid 27 times. And Mm. you'll see, like, in in these Formulaic ones, there's just, like, one little thing. They think it's kind of different. And it sets it apart, I guess, in a way it does. But um, it's just kind of this weird, weird... uh, aspect of the genre i guess
0: right but in and then i don't know well some of them i don't think that many of them really work that way because uh maid of honor is a male maid of honor who's in love with the bride i believe and then uh the wedding planner revolves around a wedding planner um Let's just run through a lot of these. <laughs> yeah. then, um The let's okay, we're all over the place. These are all formulaic rom-coms. Yeah. The one that I want to touch on that is really terrible that I I haven't seen it for a couple years, and I wanted to pitch this to you as something to do this month, but I can't I can't bring myself to do it. But it's <laughs> it's leap year. <laughs> okay,
1: I never saw this. It's
0: it's really bad. It's got Matthew Good in it as the as the male lead, and uh, he's a good actor. Yeah. Um but it also has um Amy Adams who she's great. Yeah. But it's like th- the movie just did not work for me. It's um I'm going to jumble this. Okay, Anna Brady plans to travel to Dublin, Ireland to propose marriage to her boyfriend Jeremy on Leap Day because <laughs> according to Irish tradition, a man who receives a marriage proposal on on a leap day must accept it. Wow. Like that that setup, that plot outline, that that premise is so not good Um, so flimsy so flimsy and so it's it almost goes against it's it it almost goes against the rom-com genre like like the rules of the genre without being without the self-awareness to be able to be appreciated in some way because it's like it's it's like oh irish tradition is you know the i'm gonna propose to this guy so that he must accept uh because of this Irish tradition on leap day. And it's like that conceit itself. It's like, is that really a marriage you want to, you want to have?
1: <laughs> no kidding.
0: Um, like really? That's weird. Um, it's also worth mentioning that Adam Scott is in that, is in that movie and that bums me out quite a bit. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to pitch to you that we should, since this, since this month is the first leap year, uh, of the obsessive viewer podcast, we should review that movie, and then in four years, review the movie again. And then in four years, review the movie again. So every Leap Day, we re- we release a new... No. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> think so. Um, That's... It's dumb. No. It's almost as smart as the movie Leap Year. <laughs> um, and, it, and I also struggled with that idea because I... Uh, I I vowed I would never see that movie again cuz it was bad. I remember I don't remember the specifics of the ending, like what happened, but I just remember I remember the it's it's a standard rom-com so you know that the ending is they're going to end up together or whatever. But I remember thinking like being like having a like violent reaction to it, thinking like there's no way that they should end up together. Like they don't that doesn't work. That that's not how it works, guys. Like <laughs> These two people should not be together. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. yeah. Um, so, I want to kind of skip ahead on this on this um, list here and talk about Hitch. Okay. Which I feel kind of bad. Well, I don't know if I feel bad for it, um, for putting it under formulaic, because it's a movie that I, I, I liked quite a bit when it came out. Me too. Actually. And I think I own it. I, I know you do, because I, I borrowed it from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely own it. Check check out my list on Letterboxd of my DVDs. Anyway, um it's you know, it's got Will Smith, he's one of the most charismatic guys. Um uh, uh uh Kevin James before he became Kevin James, the movie star, obnoxious actor guy. Right. Um and it plays, it, it plays with uh, the formula of the rom-com in a, in a somewhat unique way, so much so that it should probably go in the next category. But I don't know, something about it just didn't... It strained believability for me upon rewatch, and it kind of plays with some tropes and some uh, some goofy aspects to it. But I, I appreciate the idea of the conceit of the movie being that he's a guy who... Will Smith is a guy who... Um, whose job is to help men get women um, or overcome their own personal crap to, to get the women of their dreams. Um, And him dealing with him not being able to, to work his magic on, on a girl that he wants to date. How do you feel about Hitch?
1: Um, I, I think it's a fun premise. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just, it, it's, it is different. Um, I, I think you're right. It could almost be in the next category, the fresh takes mm-hmm. category. Um, it, it, the, a big part, a big helping part of it is the fact that Will Smith is in and Like you said, he's hugely charismatic. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it sets itself apart because it's not really, I, I think those kinds of movies are like the premises. You have someone who has this ridiculous job that couldn't possibly exist like there's there's no guy out there who helps this just doesn't exist Um, believe
0: me i know
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's like the the new movie the wedding ringer like there's no yeah there's no guy who has a business where he's he's a best man. it's so stupid i saw the movie it's not good it's you did it's not funny either it's it's terrible um so it like it it kind of it's it, it tends to be a hindrance on movies when you have something like that but it just kind of worked in this movie, um and I think you can give credit to to will smith and and maybe the writers um, mm-hmm. and plus the supporting characters were really strong um it had yeah. a, it had a sub sub a good subplot and and sub characters who really right. who really moved it along so
0: and it also did play a good like uh balancing act between kevin james's story with i can't remember the actress who played his love interest in it but him kind of trying to get trying to get the woman of his dreams who's this way out of his league way rich woman who's unob- unobtainable to him while also while also juggling the plot line with with will smith mm. trying to get it was was it ava mendez ava mendez, ava yeah. mendez, yeah um and and failing spectacularly
1: i think it was rada mitchell was she uh,
0: maybe I don't think it was her. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um. But yeah. So so it, it has that going for but it also has a lot of the tropey stuff. It has um, Hitch doing, uh, the the always hilarious um and not at all overdone. Oh my god, I'm allergic to this. Or oh my god, like like in the movie, he's allergic to food that he doesn't realize he's, yeah. what he's allergic to. Stupid. Um, but it's also you know. That's a common thing, like oh, I've eaten something that I shouldn't have. Now I have something that's wrong with me that's going to propel us into a into a comedic farce. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's got and and also the um, what was it the jet ski thing where he accidentally hits her in the face? Yeah, it's like so it plays with some kind of common tropey kind of setups uh, or situations that. You see, you see in lesser, more formulaic movies, and that's a hindrance to it. But it does do the juggling act between those two, those two plot lines, uh, yeah. really well. True. Um, and then also the there's one scene with um I think it was Jeff the, the Jeffrey Donovan the actor he makes an appearance as the guy who wants to uh he he solicits Hitches talents to get a woman specifically so that he can um sleep with her and that's it that's it right and then there's just a great will smith scene where he just knocks him knocks him out or or he uh he messes up like he he hits him basically and then he calls him pumpkin i can't remember the specifics of the scene but that was Mm -hmm. my favorite part of the movie so yeah so yeah that's a shaky formulaic entry in this in this thing um in this segment so there's a couple other okay well first of all the the proposal have you seen that I have, yes. Me too. Um, um, Sandra Bullock and... Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, we don't really need to talk that much about it. I remember there was a scene where Ryan Reynolds has headphones in, or earbuds in, and he takes off his... I think he's like wearing a hoodie, and this is such a weird take from it. It from, is. Where are you going with uh, this, man? He like takes off his hoodie, or takes off his shirt or something while wearing earbuds and maneuvering his phone or whatever while having a conversation, I'm like this, that's pure talent. That's cause I can't do that without like knocking my headphones out. And right. And yeah. So yeah. Um, that's my main takeaway from the proposal, but, wow. um, no, it's, it's another kind of formulaic rom-com, um, uh, which I probably should have gone through Catherine Heigel and Sandra Bullock's careers to mine for examples of this, Yeah, uh, for this segment. But what did you think of the proposal?
1: You know, it was, it was okay. I, I think it kind of had, uh, like I said, there's kind of something that sets these apart. They try to set each other apart, and it's like you know, there's like this for- whole forced marriage kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 kind of a a funny, uh, a funny situation for comedy. Yeah. This is also part of the kind of like the year of Betty White, if you will. Sure. She was in that Super Bowl commercial that was really popular, and then she was pretty relatively funny in this movie and. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she was on community, yeah. some other stuff, but it was kind of like the year of Betty White, if you will. Right. Everyone was, was
0: all about Betty White.
1: Not, yeah. she was, she's great, but yeah, not trying to take anything away from her, but yeah. she had a big uptick during this time.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so we have a few more, a few more entries in this and we'll run through them really quickly. Um, first up is a pair of movies that's it's a, a, the classic, like we may eventually do like a topic at some point that's, um twin movies like movies Mm -hmm. that came out in the same year uh from different studios that tackled the same subject or the same concept or whatever yeah um i'm thinking like dante's peak and volcano and right but in this example this rom-com example of formulaic rom-coms are uh friends with benefits and no strings attached i can't remember what year these two came out but they came out the same year um uh, oh, man. Oh, I should have looked this up. Uh, one has Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis, and the other has Ashton Kutcher and Natalie Portman. I believe right. Natalie Portman and Ashley, Ashley, uh, Ashton Kutcher were in No Strings Attached while yeah. Timberlake and Mila Kunis were in Friends with Benefits. I, for one, can't really remember. but I've, I've seen both of them, and it's funny because when I started the blog – in february of 2013 um i had a list of double feature reviews i was going to do and i always planned on doing friends with benefits and no strings attached um that's a weird sentence (laughs) but um but i never got around to it but i do what i do remember is i i preferred no strings attached over friends with benefits um i can't remember exactly why um tiny what do you think of these two have you seen them Uh,
1: i i've only seen the ashton kutcher one okay um and i thought it was dumb Really, <laughs> pretty dumb. Yeah, I, just, I didn't care for. I, I don't okay. like Cashton and Kutcher, and I'm not sure. actually. I'm not really that big a fan of Ali Portman either. Really, so, interesting. Yeah,
0: um, yeah. I just remember. I remember buying into their relationship a lot better than Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis. Gotcha. In Friends with Benefits, but yeah. And then finally, we have a group of four movies that. Two of them, I debated. On having them in the formula uh, thing by the way we've not gotten to one of my favorite movies of all time yet gotcha uh, for those keeping track still Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, it's we'll start with kind of the the granddaddy of the of this concept or this format but love actually it's a movie that takes different uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Different storylines and intersects them, and yeah, and it's it's almost like an anthology movie of different different um, subplots, and then they all kind of come together at the end. It's all along the same kind of um, uh, um, theme of of love and and all that. And I, for one, love I I actually love Love Actually, Tiny. <laughs> Um, so do I yeah it's it's got its problems it was recently brought up on Slash Filmcast and Dave Chen kind of ripped it apart (laughs) Um, (laughs) with good reason because it's not it doesn't really hold up unless you're watching it just for the pure joy of it um it doesn't hold up if you don't have joy in your heart. Yeah. Um no, um <laughs> that's just a joke. But anyway, um love actually is fantastic. I I love it despite its faults. There's like the the clear the biggest fault of it is Andrew Lincoln's subplot with um Andrew Lincoln is in love with Kira Knightley who is married to his best friend, Chuwatell AG4. Yeah. Um and it's just it's the way that that co- concludes is like so like wow. <laughs> Wow, Rick Grimes, you're a despicable person <laughs> um do you remember how that ended
1: i I do the thing with the 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 poster board <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> like what if what if fork answered the door man yeah exactly <laughs> like really I like to imagine that he has he like he he had on the uh, the opposite side the other side of each one, like a completely different thing that would have that would have been more applicable to their friendship, like, hey, congratulations on being married, congratulations on booking twelve years a slave <laughs> your future um Oh, he didn't I don't think he won the he didn't win best actor, but um your future Oscar nomination. Yeah. I'll be in Atlanta, Rick Grimes. Um
1: <laughs> so dumb. But anyway. <laughs> I'll beat it <Atlanta>. later. <laughs> oh man. I I think what I love about the movie, uh, I, I love this movie unequivocally. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I love the fact that it's it, it's it showcases how love means different things to people. Sure, because like there's the one dude who just wants to get laid, right? He, like he goes to Wisconsin just to get <laughs> laid. Like what? Um, and then you have the whole Rick Grimes thing where you know he's willing to wait or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know whatever he says. Um, uh, Liam Neeson just wants to kind of. I think he wants to kind of. He wants con- to connect. connect to his yeah. son in in the wake of his his wife's death. Mm-hmm. Um, that
0: could have been its whole like its own movie.
1: Oh, absolutely, um, absolutely.
0: But yeah, and and there's so many different subplots to this that I I just I loved. I, I like. I mean, who doesn't love uh jaded rock star? Um, 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 Bill, Bill Nighy, yeah, like it's just i i don't know that's just so again here's that word charming yeah um it's it's just so so much fun also it's a holiday movie so you got that you got hugh grant as the prime minister who is attracted to his assistant and they have this whole oh, oh i'm so charmingly befuddled <laughs> um yeah kind of meet cute and everything and it's it's just it's 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 fantastic to me i love it it's Yeah, I love it.
1: Yeah, and I won't apologize for it. No, no,
0: I damn well won't either. (laughs) However, that kind of gave rise to the different interconnected um, vignettes, anthology movies that came to light after that. I'm thinking more uh, Valentine's Day and New Year's Eve. Yeah. And both those movies I saw once um, with the Express, like I, I went in... I went in primed to enjoy both of them. Like, oh, really? Yeah, because I'm like, this is right up my alley. This is, this is like, this is like two more love actuallys. <laughs> and uh, it's it's n- neither one of them really worked for me. I may need to revisit them, but um, yeah, they they just didn't work for me. Um, the, I'm trying to think of the different the different plot lines in each one, but I'm I'm kind of struggling. I know Valentine's Day had your favorite actor Ashton Kutcher. Um, yes, it did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I want to say, Anne Anne Hathaway. Okay, I think yeah. she was in it as a as a sex call operator person. Okay, um, but yeah, it's you know I I <laughs> I liked the Family Guy episode parroting um,
1: uh, 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 Valentine's Day more than the actual movie. Yeah, um, I-, I went into both of these basically with uh, I basically thought I can't wait to hate these. I, I just, they seem so derivative of Love Actually that I just mm-hmm. couldn't, I couldn't get into them at all. Um, and they lived up to that, <laughs> to that premonition. So I, I'm not a fan of either of them. I, I think I watched New Year's Eve just to watch it. Is that the mm-hmm. one with Taylor Swift and... Yes, Taylor Swift Tay-tay? and... Tay-Tay. Uh, yeah, Tay-Tay.
0: Um, Taylor Swift and Taylor, Taylor, Taylor Lautner. Lautner? um i remember taylor swift played like a a a peppy cheerleader yeah and um it also has zach efron um that's right yeah um (laughs) i almost said friend of the show zach efron he has (laughs) no connection to this podcast (laughs) whatsoever yeah um he played like a male male uh, courier who forms an attraction or, or or a friendship with um i can't remember who an older actress um in the movie
1: yeah but I don't know. I, yeah. I it was all forgettable to me.
0: Right. It's funny that we both had different very vastly different ideas going into it. Like yeah. you were primed to hate it, I was primed to love both of them.
1: Um but it wasn't be, Man, that would be a great name for a rom-com, Prime to Love. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. Uh.
0: <laughs> oh god. We should I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to keep that in mind for our next fake movie. Game. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> so, uh to round out the Formulaic uh segment of this is a movie that once again I'm not sure if I really by by its storytelling conceit and the the way it's handled alone um it it kind of is forced to be in the Formulaic segment, but I would I would argue that it would almost belong in Fresh Takes. It's he's just not that into you. It's it's another it's another interconnected movie uh with different subplots and and everything but there's something about it i just really enjoyed i mean it's got a great cast yeah um uh, uh bradley cooper and and justin long
1: jennifer connelly jennifer connelly scarlett johansson
0: yep and uh um i'm can't i can't i'm blanking on uh kevin connelly Kevin Connolly. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh I'm playing on the is it the girl from uh not the girl from Mad Men, is it? Mm. Um,
1: Elizabeth Moss? Yeah. Is
0: she in it? I don't know. I don't remember. I don't think she is. I think I'm I think I'm mistaken. I don't know. But yeah, it's 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 just so much fun. It's it's what I wanted out of New Year's Eve and Valentine's Day. It doesn't really reach Love Actually levels for me, but it still worked quite a bit for me. I really liked the um, interplay between Justin Long and the girl that I'm mistaking for... um, uh, 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 What's her name again? Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth Moss, I'm so sorry. Uh Friend of the show, Elizabeth Moss. (laughs) Um, But I I really liked their interplay and everything, and her storyline also was very... um, (laughs) very uh resonant with me because it's uh she's she's very very much an overthinker and um yeah i remember or i'm i may be mistaking her for uh, drew barrymore's um segment in the movie where she Uh, is replaying voicemails and and stuff like that that's right yeah and really reading way too much into anything it was like it was like seeing my life on screen
1: you know i just wasn't that into it um Really? Really? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I thought it was better than Valentine's Day and New Year's Eve, but Mm -hmm. um, just not on the level of love, actually. Okay. Like you said, I agree with that. Um, It has its charms, but uh, I like the fact that it's based on a book. Um, Right. The book, I I think, is probably a fun read or whatever. Um, But, yeah, it it does have its its moments.
0: Yeah. I I, I don't know. I I liked the deconstruction of... um the dating like dating life in, in the movie. And it's, I've, I've mentioned that a lot of these movies are good background movies and stuff like that. This is a movie that I've watched several times just playing in the background. And that's both to its, to its, uh, to its uh, credit. And also a little bit to its detriment because I don't do that with love actually. Cause I get wrapped into love actually, uh, whenever I have it playing in the background. So mm-hmm. Also, the director of He's Just Not That Into You is uh, Ken Kwapis, who I recognize the name from The Office. He directed 13 episodes of The Office. Wow. Um, yeah, so go Ken Kwapis. Nice. Um. Yeah, so that rounds out the formulaic epi- the formulate category of our rom-com discussion. And we're going to end this with a Fresh Takes segment where we talk about movies that kind of buck the trends of... um the rom-com genre and do something unique with it. And we're running a little long, so we'll, we'll, we'll still, these, these are worth mentioning, um, to, to more of an extent than any other. So this
1: will be a long episode, but, um,
0: I'm rambling. So start, to start it off, tiny, have you seen all of these? I think there's one you haven't seen.
1: Um, let's see.
0: Uh... for our listeners, there are nine movies on this list.
1: Oh, there's the, two that you haven't seen. The last I three I have not seen. Okay. Ooh,
0: you should see them. You should <laughs> see two of them. Um Okay, so to start off, Chasing Amy, this is probably this is one of the one of the few movies I was able to rewatch in time for this episode. And I swear, every time I see it, I'm convinced Kevin Smith's best work. Yeah.
1: Um, I think I think you might be right.
0: Yeah, it's it's just so much more mature than anything that he'd done before that. Um, not to say that they were too immature or too, too bad. It's just, I loved seeing that growth as a director from him at that point in his career. And also just the, the way that it's handled is just such a, such a uniquely Kevin Smith spin on the romantic comedy and it, it played perfectly by, by all the, all the actors. Like, I mean, he's, his dialogue is fantastic and, um, I think I I, I want to say that it was um, I I don't know I can't credit what podcast it was because I'll, I'll if I get it wrong I want to it might be Midwest Film Nerds podcast but um, someone on a podcast recently said that Kevin Smith's dialogue is like um, I think they said is like it's like the dialogue of people on internet message boards who can, who can really craft what they want to say. Yeah, it is. Um, And that's, that's definitely, that's, I definitely agree with that. And chasing Amy is no different and it works to the movies betterment because it, it gets the point across and all the, um, all of the um, uh, motivations of each character come across very well. And, and there's a couple scenes like there's, the scene in the rain between Joey Lauren, Joey Lauren Adams and Ben Affleck—that's just freaking amazing.
1: It really is. It's
0: uh, yeah. It's just such an inventive. It's it's kind of an inventive twist on the when Harry met Sally, uh, trope or or setup, because it's it's two friends who are, um, a, a man and a woman who are friends, but and one's in love with one of them, but one's a lesbian. Uh, hilarity ensues <laughs> yeah <laughs> it 's just it 's such a unique twist on this on this brand of romantic comedy and it's it 's done extraordinarily well um, have you watched it lately
1: i haven 't watched it lately, but I, just sitting here thinking about it makes me want to watch it again because mm-hmm. it 's just so funny absolutely and, and it 's just it 's like i don 't know it's it 's just so incredible to watch the transformation that takes place in the movie and the 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 evolution of the evolution of the the primary relationship throughout the movie is just right. just so fascinating to watch, um, and and it has this this really great coming of age aspect to it that I that mm-hmm. I think is is really charming. Um, I, I agree. I think it's Kevin Smith's best work. Yep. It's it's it, definitely his most accessible work. Um, I I really love the movie. I think the performances are. Awesome and and the writing is just top notch. Like it just the pacing's perfect, like the each scene builds on the previous one just immaculately. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really well crafted movie.
0: It really Rewatching it which by the way small tangent uh we talked about in our our year in review episode that none of us had watched um many movies in our collection like from our dvd collection yeah i own this movie and i still streamed it on netflix because <laughs> i didn't feel like getting up and well actually it's not even so much that i didn't feel like getting the disc out and watching it on a disc because i have the criterion dvd of it it's just it, it's so second nature to me to to check something on a streaming uh, platform that I don't even think about my collection really. Me too. Um and it's kinda that's that's a shame. <laughs>
1: it's convenient. Exactly. And and really the Netflix transfer probably looks better than the D V D copy.
0: Maybe, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, probably. But then again it does it is a criterion release in that in that instance. But True. a lot of times it is like it's like Blu ray quality on, on Netflix and and mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's it's spectacular. Yeah. But having watched it, watching it again this time around um man going back to his early career where he's where his first four or five movies were all connected um, and they all have little inside jokes to one another there's a there's a scene between Joey Lauren Adams and Ben Affleck where they're talking and uh, and they're they're just swapping stories like oh yeah you lived here you lived here in this uh, and then and then uh, Holden's just like... Uh, here's the here's the ultimate test. Quick stop, and then Joey Lauren Adams says, "My my best friend f- a guy in their bathroom, f- a dead guy in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, like that is just so so freaking amazing. <laughs> I I just love that so much. Yeah. Um, and I'm I miss that. I I just I really miss that. And it's something that he kind of seemed to be trying to start up again or, or do again with the True North trilogy, having the yoga hoser scene in it. But it just didn't work for me because that movie just wasn't. To my liking, but going back and seeing his his view universe uh, uh, the early days of his career was just so such a return like i'm probably going to in the next week, rewatch clerks and mall rats and um probably not Jane's silent Bob, but and maybe dogma i don't know mm-hmm. um, but just those first those first few movies from him were just freaking amazing I absolutely mean, yeah it's worth mentioning that he has mall brats in production um, oh that's right, yeah, yeah, we'll see how that goes, but yeah. So moving along to our next fresh take. This is a super long episode. Um <laughs> Uh I love you, man. And then also in our love next you, man. <laughs> yeah. I knew you're going to do that. Yeah. Tiny, you're a huge fan of this movie.
2: I like it a lot, yes. Okay.
0: I kind I remember when you I remember you uh really being excited about it when it came out in theaters yes and like i remember going to the theater and then leaving and like texting you and being like you're right that was freaking
1: awesome yeah i thought it was Um, one of the better comedies i had seen in like a couple years right when it came out and i think i just had a part of that's knee-jerk i think i'm not trying to take anything away from it but i think part of that was knee-jerk because i had a phenomenal experience in the theater it was opening night and it was like packed um and, and everyone was just laughing their ass off at it. Nice. Um so it was just a really good experience. But it is a really fun movie. I mean it's 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 again, it's a little it's a little spin on the on the genre. You know, it's kind right. of about the relationship between two friends. This guy's found love in a counterpart and he wants he needs to find like the support from a friend. And it's right. just, it's just a different play on it. Um and obviously um Paul Rudd. And um, Jason Segel have awesome chemistry. Oh, amazing! I mean, just flawlessly, chem- flawless chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, really impressive on that. In that respect, so I don't know. It's just, it's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, you're really missing out. Yeah, it's I, hilarious.
0: I love it. And there's the the John John Favreau in it is freaking amazing. Yeah, like he he plays just such an a hole, and it's just so his delivery of every line is freaking amazing. The poker scene is. Uh, Like one of the most memorable comedy scenes I've seen in, in, in the last decade or so. Yeah. Um, and then moving along, this is, this is a, this is a, this might be a point of contention on this podcast. I don't know how you feel about this movie, but, um, kind of in this, in a similar vein of, of having, um, having a genre, a genre twist where, uh, like with I Love You Man, having two, two male, having a bromance and having two males be the center of it. Um, that awkward moment takes three male stars basically and uh and basically spins the concept of the romantic comedy of a, of a woman looking for love to men looking for love mm-hmm. or or having their having their adventures on a romantic comedy from their perspective and i haven't seen this since i saw it for the first time but i really really liked it um great cast miles teller um uh, uh Zach Efron and Michael B. Jordan. Mm-hmm. Um th- two of them went on to be uh members of the Fantastic Four. <laughs> um <laughs> but I I just remember just really enjoying this movie and and really just eating up all all the little uh uh comedy bits and I thought the chemistry between the three leads were were great and um yeah i just i i loved it i I loved it have did you see it what'd you think of it
1: i did see yeah i liked it a lot too the the three storylines weaving together through their friendship was pretty Mm. and it's again just super relatable yeah totally. being a guy and and stuff like that right yeah very relatable yeah totally good one
0: um so none of these have been my one of my favorite movies of all time however and it's also worth mentioning all of these are in no particular order
1: right right (laughs)
0: um the next one is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. Like, without question, there was one year. um, It might be more a reflection of where I was in my personal life. I saw this freaking movie, like, seven times that year. Yeah. It's 500 Days of Summer. And, my God, I, I just, I love this movie. I absolutely adore it. And it's so it's like you said before i'm not going to get personal on this or anything but it's a very relatable subject it's Mm -hmm. it's it starts out from the beginning with the kind of fresh take on it the twist on it is that this is not a love story it's it's about a guy who is lovelorn for this woman who is not does not feel the same way and and um he, he doesn't seem to be capable of feeling the same way and it's such a an amazing movie from start to finish. It's a, it's a nonlinear movie. So it, it kind of intercuts between, um, him dealing with the breakup and them in their, in their, in their, uh, their heyday of their relationship and it's just the contrast between i, sh- I wish I, I wish i would have found the time to rewatch it again but um the contrast between the two sequences like there's two sequences of them in ikea and it's like they're at different points in their relationship and it's just so brilliantly handled um and they're at different points in the movie and there's one sequence in particular that is one of my favorite scenes of any movie it's the uh it's the it's one of the greatest depictions of um, it's one of the most realistic depictions, really of um, of a feeling <laughs> that that people get. Um, it's the expectations versus reality segment where it's a split screen. Um, uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt is going to a party, and the left side of the screen is his expectations for the night. And then the right side is the reality of the night, and uh, it's and it's all set to Regina Spector's song uh, "Hero," and oh my god, that scene is just unbelievably amazing. I freaking love it, and the way that the the movie itself the the way that the story is handled that and and the chemistry between um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel is just incredible. Like this movie. I can't, like, it's one of, it's, it might even be one of my Desert Island movies, actually. Wow. So, yeah, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. 500 Days of Summer. Tiny, what did you think?
1: Uh, I also love it, and I, I don't have quite the same affinity for mm. it as you do, but I think it's one of the best romantic comedies of right. all time.
0: Of course you don't, because you're happy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> true. That is true. That is true. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think you know you use the word contrast, and, and the movie is really about contrast and and balancing between those two, mm. up low and high periods of a relationship, and yep. it, it's just it the movie's about balance, and it's balanced perfectly. Mm-hmm. It's like a perfectly balanced movie. It's so well done. I, I agree. Um, and, and Zoe Deschanel has that that like. Kind of perfect dream girl kind of thing going. Right, she's a manic
0: pixie dream girl.
1: Manic pixie dream girl. Yep, yep she has that going in this movie. Um, a- a- and she's awesome. I think also women are a big fan of Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Well, yeah, for yeah. understandable reasons. It's not only women. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: but, and we talked about with with Annie Hall. We talked about how the opening of a movie is very important in this in the genre. The opening of Five Hundred Days of Summer is so first of all it's incredible it's another regina specter song actually um i can't remember the name of it um us i think uh i remember this because like us and hero are like the only two uh regina specter songs i listen to because they're they're part of this movie um (laughs) but it starts with just scenes of of like uh of the characters as kids at different points and then um i think before after that or before that, there's a black screen. It just says, uh, "This this movie is is fictitious. It's it's not based on anyone in particular." And then, um, and then it says something like, uh, "Something like especially you, Jenny Beckwith, you bitch or something." <laughs> it's just I I love that. That's awesome. Um, and it's it's just oh my god, I freaking love this movie so much. It's definitely definitely one of my favorite movies of all time. Nice. Yeah. Definitely. um yeah is there anything else we need to say about it because i can go i can write an entire like 20 page whatever do it (laughs) (laughs) it so anyway um uh so the next up on the list is forgetting sarah marshall Mm -hmm. which i threw in kind of at the 11th hour um because it's more of a, I guess more of a breakup movie. And it's, I mean, it's a romantic comedy, but it, it it's is. kind of in a class by itself. Yeah. Um, Jason Siegel is fantastic. I, I love, uh, uh, Kristen Bell and Russell Brand is Russell Brand before everyone kind of yeah, knew Russell Brand. <laughs> exactly. Or like hated him. Uh, so like he's the perfect amount of Russell Brand in this movie. And then there's that one scene with Joan Hill. We have Mila Kunis. It's, it's a really great, like, um, location rom com movie because it's it's it, the location of setting it in Hawaii and and having that tropical atmosphere kind of lends lends uh lends this fish out of water story or not even fish out of water story just kind of like this it heightens the awkwardness of it like the way yeah. that I'm describing this movie right now, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and it's just it's it's fantastic, and and it's something that's there's somewhat of a relatability to it, I guess. Like, Cause yeah. I mean, everyone's in this situation. Like I personally on a very personal level can relate to the scene where Jason Siegel, after having uh, been dumped by Kristen Bell goes to Hawaii and he goes to the hotel and he sees her there. And it's like, I can so relate to that feeling. Like yeah. there's a scene where he's, where he's like, he's thinking like, he yes, I think he asked me like, how he looks. And then she's like, yeah, I look fine. Or whatever, and then um, he just says under his breath, "He's like, he's like, I wish I wasn't wearing this fucking shirt." It's like, <laughs> yeah, I've I've been there, man. I know exactly how you feel. Yep. And then he breaks the ice with by saying, uh, "What he's like?" She's like, "Peter, what are you doing here?" And he's just like, uh, "He's just like, I came here to murder you." I'm here to murder you. It's like, yep. That's
1: <laughs> that's when I knew I loved this movie. That's one of the best lines ever. Absolutely. So funny. Oh yeah. I think this movie also in my book, is is one of the better rom-coms of all time. Nice. I, I just love the perspective of it. It starts with a breakup, and the guy is trying to get over it. Like, that's that's really unique, and it's it's so personal to Jason Siegel as the the, right. the, the writer of the movie that, like, it just... It's beyond relatable, because it's real. Like, this is how he felt. This is the stuff he went through. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's almost like he's not even telling a story. He's just recounting what he went through and that gives it a level of authenticity that sets it apart right really really well and the movie's just hysterical i I love the movie
0: yep speaking of um autobiographical romantic comedies i'm throwing a curveball here but i just realized it's sleepwalk with me yeah um i don't know if you i don't know if you'd really call it a romantic well yeah romantic comedy totally yeah to an extent yeah. yeah um I, I love that movie too. I have a signed DVD of it from signed by Mike Perpiglia and from uh, Joey Bag of Donuts um, yeah, after seeing uh, <laughs> after seeing after seeing Mike Perpiglia alive um, yeah. the week before my girlfriend at the time broke up with me. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I love that movie and I'm so excited for Mike Propiglia's next movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'll throw that in there to this list. Uh, do you right. have any thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, I agree. Also, mm-hmm. just a huge level of authenticity that really yep. set it apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: very uh, very Woody, Woody Allen esque, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I appreciated. Uh, next up on the list, and then and then we'll kind of. Run through the last three after this, uh, really briefly since you haven't seen them. But, uh, Silver Linings Playbook. I haven't seen this movie since the first time I saw this movie, and the first time I saw this movie is when I first loved the movie. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of tough to gauge my feelings on it now, but it's, I mean, it's, it's a very, very well done movie. Um, really great performances from Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence, and then, um, just the depiction of, um, Bipolar disorder, and it's—I don't know how authentic it is or anything—but it, it sold me on the character's story, and it sold me on the uh, chemistry between the characters, um, very well, actually. And, yeah. Um. Yeah. So, what did you think of *Silver Linings Playbook*?
1: Yeah, it's 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 so wildly eccentric that it's you can't take your eyes off of it. Yeah. Um, it's it's watching. It's like watching a slow motion train wreck. Right. Um, I, I think it's. I don't want to say it's not a rom-com, but I think it's more drama. I think it's more drama with with comedy interspersed throughout it. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it should be taken off the list or anything. Right. Um, I, I love the movie, too. I think I've only seen it twice. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it won some Oscars, and I totally wanted it to win some of those Oscars. Right. Um, I, I really love this movie, and it's one of the only reasons why I have the amount of respect I do for David O. Russell because – I think I think the sporadic nature of the characters played into his style mm-hmm. really well in this movie, and he has yet to recapture that again because yeah. I, I think he has a bit of a sporadic filmmaking, uh, tactics, mm-hmm. and I think his other movies don't mesh well with it. But this one was perfect for it.
0: Yeah, so. and he he does a lot of like character based stuff. Yeah, um, kind of to the to the uh, detriment of story uh, at times, and it it yeah. really lent itself very well to this movie yes um yeah and so the last three of the fresh takes category are uh three movies you haven't seen
1: correct i haven't seen any of these
0: okay so i brought this one up as the uh this generation's when harry met sally (laughs) um in in an extended potpourri episode i don't remember the number offhand but it's the one where i talked about indie film fest last year in july so it was like probably the first episode of August um, of last year. But mm-hmm. um, Sleeping With Other People, um, Jason Sudeikis and Alison Brie is two two people who swapped virginities in uh, uh, college in a one-night stand and then meet uh, like 10 or 12 years later in New York and have a friendship, um, strike up a friendship. And it's what struck me most about it, and this is all stuff that I said in that episode, but I'll just touch on them briefly, is that this movie not only... Takes a familiar concept of of or a familiar plotline of a uh, of a f- very famous and well regarded romantic comedy uh, being Her- when Harry met Sally because it's very much when Harry met Sally, uh, but it transports it to an era or a time period where there's a lot different about being in your twenties or, or your late twenties and dating, and it's something that I connected to. There were several several instances where. Um, things were happening to characters or characters were, um, involved in, uh, situations or, or specific to dating and, uh, relationships that either I I has to say I've been in, but like either I've, I've, I've known people who have been in similar situations, um, and i haven't revisited it since seeing it last july but i've been i've been eager to it's available to rent on on google play and and iTunes and all that stuff um, and I'm kind of curious how how my feelings about it are going to hold up because I saw it as the opening night film of Indie Film Fest, so I kind of had that atmosphere atmosphere um, uh, aiding my perception of it a bit but it's it's stuck with me even to this day cuz it's it's a really well done well done comedy. Um there's a couple tropey things in it. Like there's in every R-rated comedy these days there's a scene where the characters are on drugs cuz that's what R-rated comedies do these days. Yeah. Um And the ending, the ending, I didn't really have a problem with, but a lot of people have a problem with it apparently, but I didn't have a problem with it at the time. So, um, but it kind of does go into a different direction, but I highly recommend sleeping with other people and I highly recommend sleeping with other people in the movie. Um, (laughs) (laughs) that's, I don't know how I'm going to cut that. Anyway, um, it's, it's really good. It, it, the memory of it has held up well. Um, and then the next one is Obvious Child, which I think I've talked about on the podcast before. Um, it's Jenny Slate's movie about a stand up comedian. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a romantic comedy <laughs> that takes place in the, I think, two weeks that Jenny Slate's character has to wait before she can get an abortion. Yeah. Um, and it's a very, it's an abortion romantic comedy. And that's, that's a fresh take in yeah, my book. Definitely. Um, yeah and and there's some really good character stuff between her and um the male lead who I can't remember his name, but he played one of the new interns on, on the last season of the office um yeah so so that was great and then the final one on this list um is they came together uh you haven't seen this one
1: have not man
0: that's you're gonna have to watch this yeah it's uh it's david Wayne's uh romantic comedy spoof movie with uh paul rudd and amy poehler and a a a bunch pretty much anyone that's worked with david wayne before is in this movie Mm -hmm. in some capacity and it's so it plays on the tropes of the romantic comedy so great it's like there's one scene in particular and then and then we'll wrap this up quick um that's what she said that's so dumb anyway don't even don't even um uh there's one scene in particular where um paul rudd is hanging out with his friends and they're playing basketball. They're just shooting hoops. And it's like each character, it's like, it's like Kenan Thompson, Ken Marino, uh, uh, Jack McBrayer. And I think one other person and each one is just like a different, uh, archetype, of a romantic comedy best friend character okay and it's like in the in the the style that they say it in or the style that they that the dialogue is in it's just like they're so t- they're talking openly about it. it's like um <laughs> like uh ken Marino shoots a basket he misses every single one and every single time he shoots the ball it's uh, he says swish um <laughs> but he says something like well the meaning of love is to get laid and then i think keenan thompson says something like yeah, listen to, you shouldn't, or you shouldn't listen to, uh, and then he goes, he basically breaks down that trope and by saying, um, I can't remember exactly what he says, but it says something like, the, the, uh, late bloomer or late 30s or early 30s guy who's only obsessed with getting laid and, and all that. And then it goes through each character's advice to him and they sum it up by saying that. And then, um, I think, I think Jack McBride says something like, uh yeah so so take all of these together and then and then form your own opinion it, it's just the way that it's written is much better than I'm doing it justice but it's it's just that that biting satire of the genre is something that I loved and I've I've seen it several times um I think it was my honorable mention on my honorable mentions list for 2014 um but it's it's a great movie it's a great movie that's they came together nice and uh yeah and and that about does it for the list but I do want to give a quick mention to Fourth Man Out. Which is somewhat of a romantic comedy. Um, it's I saw it at Heartland Film Festival last year, and it's available to rent on iTunes and Google Play and all that stuff now. Um, it's a really good coming of age movie, romantic comedy movie about a guy who, on his twenty fourth birthday, com- comes out to his friends who are like super bro. I use the word bromophobic, yeah. where they use a lot of gay slurs and and just they kind of like kind of like oh you're so gay like kind of like bro yeah. broing out, um, and it's about them dealing with the political correctness or or how to handle being friends with a gay person, not in a disrespectful or or homophobic way, but it, more of in a in a post PC age or something like that. Gotcha. And and there's the rom com thing. The reason why I'm um, bringing it up here is that there's a great great like um um um, underlying storyline or, or there's a great plot line involving the main character discovering like this is the first time that he's that he's openly dating as a gay man and it's he, there's some growing pains he goes on a string of really horrible first dates and like it's stuff that's universal for any any um Gender preference person or or uh, no matter your sec, uh, sexual preference, like mm-hmm. these are relatable scenarios. Like I've been in that situation before with women that I've dated for se- several times. Uh, in those examples, and it's something that I just really appreciated. I I love it. It's called fourth man out. That's fourth with four th, like the letter the number four. Numerical right. That's yeah. That's <laughs> yep. <laughs> So yeah, so that's our, that's our discussion of romantic comedies. I have a few that were under debatable, but we don't need to really touch on them. Uh, I want to throw this out though. Where would you think train wreck would fit there? Cause we both saw it and I'm, didn't we? Yeah, we did.
1: Yeah. I would say, I would say it's kind of a fresh take but yeah but it's not as good as the ones on our fresh take list i, I agree that's I, the problem because i mean it is the fresh taken that the the female lead is more like the traditional male character right so that's what's that's what's different about it and why i think it's kind of a fresh take but
0: and also the trope of the best friend for the male character is a parody of that trope basically right, it's, right. it's lebron james playing lebron james mm-hmm. um so it's so it's great that way but it's I don't know. It, it follows such it follows such a romantic comedy formula that I was debating whether or not to put it under Fresh Takes or um, uh, formulaic, but but this is not an official list in any capacity. Um, so yeah, so so that's our list. That's our discussion of the rom com genre. There are so many movies, so many tropes so many everything to mind from this we're going to revisit it at some point in the future watch out next year for valentine's day we're going to do teen rom-coms <laughs> that's on the books now i have it written down oh my god um can't wait so <laughs> yes yeah, so and then that's our discussion of romantic comedies and then now we're going to go to our potpourri section Tose. And yes. So for first time listeners of the podcast, potpourri is the section of the podcast where we talk about anything that we're watching, anything that we've watched lately, looking forward to, anything like that. Um, the, th- the phrase we use is it's whatever we want as long as it smells good. And, uh, to kick it off, I, I have three things. Tiny, you have two. Yes. Yes. So I'm going to go ahead and get us kicked off here. Um, last week on the podcast on OV 152 on our Revenant episode, uh, reviewing the Revenant, um, It was assigned to me to watch Hannibal Season 1 on Amazon Prime, um, and then also The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. I unfortunately didn't get a chance to watch The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, so that will be next week that I'll talk about it in Potpourri, but I have gone through about 10 episodes of um, Hannibal Season 1, and holy crap, that show... (laughs) Okay, tiny. What is, what is your what is your relationship to Hannibal season or Hannibal the TV show?
1: Uh, it's non-existent. Okay. I've never watched. I don't even. I don't think I've watched the trailers or promos. Interesting. For it. I just. I just didn't want to get into it.
0: Okay, so yeah. Hannibal is basically um, the story of Hannibal Lecter um, and Will Graham from the Red Dragon novel and uh, the movie Manhunter and the Red Dragon movie. Um, it's about them working together with the FBI before, you know, Hannibal Lecter was, you know, incarcerated and all that stuff. Um, and it's so, like, holy crap. I talked about it in a, a potpourri segment back in, like, October or November, um, cause I'd watched the pilot. And having go- gone through 10 episodes now of this season, it's, it doesn't let up. Like, it's, it's astonishing to me that there is so much violence and so much gore in it cuz there's a lot of scenes of crime scenes and it's like blood everywhere. There's one uh there's one plot line where they're chasing a killer who oh man it's so messed up who his victims are like their backs are sliced open and the skin flaps of their back are brought up to make them look like angels. Wow. And their, their dead bodies are posed in a prayer, um, a prayer like stance. It's just, it's so graphic and, and crazy. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and the performances are just astounding. Like Mads Mikkelsen plays Hannibal Lecter and it's, it's, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Like, Hannibal Lecter is one of the one of the iconic characters of of film, really of of the one of the most iconic villain characters in all of movies, basically. And Mads Mikkelsen plays him in such a such a like the way that he performs it is just is just really gripping and, and very terrifying. And it's and it's kind of a subtle way because it's you because, you know, the character, you know, who he is, what he is. No one else really does though. And there are moments where he does things that are just so like crazy. Like there's a moment in the pilot where they're going to chase, they're going to get, um, they've, they've been, um, chasing a killer basically. And they find out where he lives and everything. And then, uh, they go to the car and everything, but, but Hannibal stays behind and he calls, calls the guy on the phone and then, uh, uh, from, from like the office that they're in and calls him. And all he says is they know, and then that launches like a whole a whole thing um, and the thing that I kind of really appreciated about Hannibal season one though is that it's it's a fairly serialized show. It's like, there's, I kind of had this perception going in since it's a network show. Uh, it aired on NBC that it would be kind of a case of the week. Like, Oh, Hannibal Lecter and Will Graham, what adventures are we going to have this week? And to an extent there is kind of a case of the week thing, but there's a, there's a serialized format to it. There's characters that recur and, and dynamics that are grown throughout, um, different, different episodes. And, and, and there's a through line to it. And I really appreciated that. Um, and having said that there's also um f- first of all Hugh Dancy plays Will Graham and he plays this kind of like he's 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 Will Graham who who he's very um empathetic to to um serial killers basically like like he can he can imagine what's going through a psychopath's mind when they're committing a murder and it's very emotionally draining to him cuz he experiences what the what the killer experiences, and there's some really great sequences where he's basically like there's kind of a a wipe um, effect that goes on on the screen where he'll be looking at a he'll be looking at a scene, and then the the screen will wipe, and then he'll be in the scene before the murder, and it'll show him doing the murder, and he'll he'll have this kind of almost Shakespearean like monologue to himself saying like saying like i i take i take the knife and i slit the throat and i and i carve out the organs and then it's chilling because as he's describing it uh just to himself and to the audience it's kind of his inner monologue when he's doing it because it's it's a kind of a fantasy sequence basically he'll he repeats the line he says this is my design this is my design every time and it's like it's like it's chilling it's amazing um and then my final thought for it um my second to last final thought, what? Um, <laughs> is Lawrence Fishburne plays, uh, Jack Crawford, who he, he, play, he was played by Scott Glenn in Silence of the Lambs. He's kind of the head of the FBI character guy. Um, head of the FBI character guy. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, and there's, there's a, uh, he, he does a great job and everything, but there's one scene in particular that, like, kind of blew my mind a little bit. Um, he is, he's, uh, I can't really give anything away. He has a wife played by Gina Torres who has been distant to him and and has been acting kind of strange. And then there's a moment where Will Graham is talking to, talking to a woman or talking to the, to the wife of um, someone that they're, that they're after and they find out something about the character. And there is a moment where, Uh, Lawrence, Lawrence Fishburne's character just kind of like has this dawning realization about the truth of, of what's going on with his wife. And it's like, it's like the scene is incredible because Will Graham is having a dialogue with this woman. And then the whole time, like you're just transfixed by Lawrence Fishburne, who's having this, just this earth shattering, earth shattering realization. That's just really, really well done. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm so all about Hannibal, right now. Um, I've watched 10 episodes. I'll probably watch season two after it. And then, um, I don't know where I'll be able to find season three, but I might, uh, I might actually buy it somewhere and then watch it. But, um, the kind of, to my parting thought on this, and I apologize for being so long winded, but, um, it's, it's really a credit to the show that I am so disappointed that it's gotten canceled because, I would, I would love, I would absolutely love to see this cast, this world explore the storyline of Silence of the Lambs and uh, even Hannibal, like kind of go through that. Um, and I guess season three does delve into the Red Dragon arc of, of the Hannibal story. Um, so I do have that to look forward to, but to see it get cut, like, I, I, it's so, it's so amazing to me that Hannibal Lecter in *The Silence of the Lambs* is an iconic performance, and I want to see that acted by Mads Mikkelsen. I think that that's a great, a great compliment to give this this cast, this creative team, and Mads Mikkelsen um, in particular. So that's *Hannibal* season one, ten episodes. I've seen it's on Amazon Amazon Prime. Check it out. This is my design. <sighs> <laughs>
1: Awesome. Are you going to watch it? (laughs) I'd like to at some point, (laughs) yeah. Uh, So, yeah, so that's Hannibal Season 1. Tiny, what do you have for us? Uh, My first one is a documentary I recently watched called The Propaganda Game. Um, It was filmed in uh, 2014 by a Spanish director named uh, Alvaro Longoria. Um, Basically, he was granted a quote-unquote all-access tour of North Korea. Which is a very difficult thing because you know that's a that's a highly, highly secretive, closed off, um, communist country. Uh, right. You, you can't you can't just go to North Korea like you, you have to be you have to get permission from their government from their government, and it's a really tricky thing to do, um, especially if you have a camera. Right. Um, and so this guy was guided through uh, Pyongyang, the capital of North Korea, for I think a little over a week. Um, and and was taken to the demilitarized zone and he uh, got to tour some of the uh, famous landmarks in Pyongyang and he got to interview anyone he wanted to. Um, It it was, it was just a really fascinating um, all access kind of, again in quotations, all access kind of uh, documentary. Um, I really appreciated it for its objectivity though. Um, one of the things that was pointed out very well in the documentary is that because um, there's so little information that we actually get about what it's like to be in North Korea, mm-hmm. that basically means that anything that anyone says is potentially true. <laughs> and so there are all these crazy uh, uh crazy factoids we get or pieces of information we get from North Korea like uh you're only the men are only allowed to have one haircut and it's the same haircut that uh, uh Kim Jong Un has Jeez. you know what i mean and like it, it could be true no one really right. knows you know what i mean <laughs> but you know you go there and the guy's filming and he's like there's actually uh, uh, people who have tons of different kinds of haircuts here that's ridiculous <laughs> um there was the the story that the one of like the number 2 guy in the in the uh Um, North Korean government um, was executed by basically tossing him to a pack of dogs. Turns out to be hugely untrue. (laughs) Like news, news companies, news uh, organizations around the world reported it as fact, but it was actually false. Um, So it's kind of, it, it it was refreshingly objective in that respect in that he's like, you know, there's all these reports of all this terrible stuff going on. Uh, but we don't actually know if it's true mm-hmm. um, and and th- there's some stuff that is true that's very disturbing it's it's uh, you know it's not a free society by any stretch of the imagination it's it's a communist communistic country it's ruled by a, a dictator um it's actually really funny the country of north korea um their the their leader is actually dead um, wow. the first one Kim il sung I think was the first dictator. He's technically the leader of North Korea. Um, his grandson, uh, Kim Jong un, I believe, who is the current uh dictator or whatever of uh North Korea is just a placeholder for his grandfather, basically. Wow. It's kind of a weird factoid. It's huh. like that's that just kind of demonstrates how screwy it is over there. Um but this this documentary was cool. I, I, I really appreciate it appreciated again the 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 objectivity of it and the fact ha- the the fact that it's really about it's not about how weird North Korea is. Mm-hmm. It's about how they use propaganda to shape their perception amongst their own populace, which is really interesting. Cause I mean, everyone in North Korea is brainwashed without question. Mm-hmm. Like they absolutely are. It's just a question of how do they know how brainwashed they are? Right. And do they really want to have freedom of speech and have free elections? And do they really want to be free or do they appreciate the system that they currently live in? It's, it's it's an interesting exploration of society in North Korea. I, I, I appreciated the uh the uh objectivity of it in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um it's cool how they got in there too. There's this guy he is the only foreigner who works for uh the North Korean government. Wow. He's uh he's a Spanish guy. He he was born in Spain and just basically immigrated to North Korea because he wanted to be part of a communist society. And huh. he's like one of their best PR people because he's a a foreigner who chose to adopt their way of life as opposed to being forced into it, if you will. Okay. Uh, so he was a really interesting person to to explore and to look at. I, I was he, he's a fascinating guy. They could have made just a documentary about him. Um, hmm. So that was kind of their in into the country, and I, I'm glad he's there because it was a, it was a very very fascinating thing. That country is just amazing. They're their precision and their their attitude and it's it's crazy because every single scene, every single like landscape or establishing shot, everything is spotless. Really, there's no trash on the ground. Uh, there's no homeless people. There's nothing broken. There's no leaves on the ground. The grass Jeez. is cut to a perfect level. It's everything is precisely perfect. Mm-hmm. It's just a really. And you know, some people theorize, oh, it's just a show. They knew there was a camera coming, so they they right. staged everything. That's kind of a common theory. It could be true, it might not be, who knows, but it it was a fascinating thing to watch, I'll put hmm. it that way. Um it's about an hour and a half. It's on Netflix. I recommend okay. it.
0: And that's called The Propaganda Game. The Propaganda Game. How does it stack up to uh the 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 interview? Uh
1: they actually mentioned it and the, they really? they actually mentioned nice. it in in the movie. Um hmm. uh it's it's kind of funny. Um and you know the people they mention it and and the the Spanish guy, I forget his name um he he has he has an interesting point, i mean I'm not sure I agree with it, but you know he has the point that the reason why they boycotted it so hard and saw it as a border as like an act of terrorism in their eyes mm-hmm. is that you know they were depicting a living active leader of a country and you know the things that happen to him in the movie would be an act of right. war, and it's like that's that's why it's satire that doesn't translate is because mm-hmm. it's a living acting leader of a country. I can understand his perspective. I think it's silly, right? Because freedom of speech should not, is not something that should be, you know, hamstrung, right? Um, at least not in my book. Um, but I can understand where he's coming from. I'll put it that way.
0: Um, yeah. That sounds. I'm. 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 I may actually check that out. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I may actually. <laughs> Actually, watch something that you you recommend. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, uh, so so my next potpourri is this will this will be brief. Um, the Coen Brothers' latest movie, *Hail Caesar*. Nice. Um, yeah. So, I've the last couple years, I've uh, or, yeah, last couple years, I've had kind of a standing tradition. Um. To, this is gonna sound so lame. Um. Super Bowl Sunday. Since I'm not really into the sports balls, I um. I I will go to the movie theater because you know, everyone's watching the big game, <laughs> um. And I'll go see a movie. Um. I went a little bit earlier in the day than I should have, so there was a there was a fairly busy theater, uh, relative relatively busy for Super Bowl Sunday. But um. And I don't know. I. Okay so so the movie is about um Josh Brolin plays a Hollywood a, a studio a movie studio fixer in 1950s Hollywood and it's all about him dealing with uh a bunch a bunch of different characters throughout a day in Hollywood fixing different problems here and there um and you know I I thought that it was I thought that it was I thought that it was a, a it was a good depiction of um old Hollywood or a good send up of old Hollywood in, in that respect. It was, it was a, it was a, it was a fun, it was fun to watch and fun to see all of these different vignettes of, of the era. Like there's a really great extent, like very long um, song and dance sequence with uh, Channing Tatum. As, uh, as you will see in the previews for it, he plays a Navy. uh, He, he, it's a bunch of seamen. Singing and dancing, and it's like the, the content of it gets, gets progressively more and more homoerotic. <laughs> and it's like, that's, it's one of the, one of the best point parts of the movie, um, for, for my taste. Um, but for some reason, it like, the comedy kind of fell flat for me. Um, it kind of juggled a lot of different, a lot of different things, and, and there's some critiques, um, against the movie where they they have a lot of like really great actors and actresses making just basically on screen for like two minutes at a time, and that's that's it. But I didn't mind that because it, it just it just showed like kind of a slice of life kind of thing, and then it might be the kind of movie that you need to go back and see again. Um, cause I didn't go in expecting that. I thought that it was going to be kind of a crime caper kind of thing. Cause the trailers really emphasized George Clooney, uh, George Clooney's character being kidnapped. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought that that would be kind of the through line for it. It's, it's really not that big of a, that big of a thing. The, the kind of big through line for it is Josh Brolin's character, um, dealing with a, a decision that he has to make about his personal life.
2: Hmm.
0: Um, and it's it's good in that respect, but something about it just didn't really stick with me. Um the comedy sequences in it didn't really didn't really land for me. Um there's a really good oh, I can't remember his name. Um there's a really good character. He plays a kind of uh a, a, a kind of rodeo clown guy that they kind of plucked from the rodeo to be an actor, and they uh oh, I can't remember he like he's like he's kind of the standout breakout performance of the movie. Um, it's Alden Ehrenreich, um, and he's he's fantastic in it. He is absolutely fantastic. Um, but again, the con- the content didn't didn't the the comedy didn't really land for me, and that's that was kind of a a, a big gap for me. And gotcha, I don't know. So I thought that it was okay, um, and I liked the. the the time period that it was depicting and the kind of way that it was sending up that era. Um, But, eh, I don't know. It was just okay. Gotcha. That's cool. (laughs) Yep. So what's your uh, second, what's your last potpourri segment?
1: Uh, My last potpourri is another documentary. I swear I don't plan this. It just happens. (laughs) Um, Trophy Kids. Uh, It came out in 2013. Um, It was uh, directed by Chris Bell, who is most famous for... Um, his documentary from a, a few years ago called uh, "Bigger, Stronger, Faster." Um, so I was interested in it for that reason, and also I think it's an interesting, uh, an interesting subject. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just about overbearing parents in sports. Um, it's the classic dad slash coach who doesn't know how to, you know, separate the two things. Um, it's it it kind of begs the question, you know do these parents want what's best for their children or do they just want them to be the best mm-hmm. despite whether or not it's good for them? Um, it's it's an interesting question and, and it explores um, three sets of parent and uh, ch- child athletes, if you will. Um, and, and they're kind of varying degrees. Um, it's It's really r- remarkable how much time and money people will spend on their children's athletic futures, uh, regardless of how talented they are. <laughs> um, cause there, there's one kid who, uh, specializes in basketball. He plays in Southern California in high school and he, he's a good basketball player, but, uh, his dad thinks he's good enough to go to like a division one school like Georgetown or, or IU or oh something like that but he's i mean he's really not he's just not good enough to to be that but his dad pours tens of thousands of dollars into his training over his high school career uh and he ends up getting a scholarship to uh to a college but it's like a i think it's like a division 2 college or something mm-hmm. it's it, it it's it's great cuz he's he's a good basketball player but he's just not going to be he's never going to be great at it um and that's that's just an interesting it's an interesting dynamic to watch um, cause all of us can, I think, I think most of the audience can see the writing on the wall, but his dad is just convinced that he's, he's the next John Stockton or whatever. Jeez. Um, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to watch. Um, it, it wasn't a really great documentary. Um, I mentioned bigger, stronger, faster. Mm-hmm. That is a fantastic documentary. Um, I don't know if it's on Netflix. I think it used to be. That is a really, really good documentary. And, and, and I think what makes that so good is the fact that it's, it's personal to Chris bell. It's literally, literally, literally about himself and his family. Um, so that's why it's, it's so, it's so personal. He intertwines himself into the story and the, the thesis he's trying to state. Um, the question he's trying to answer is so personal to him that it makes it a great documentary. Whereas this, he's really not even in it. Um, he, he doesn't insert himself into it. It's not about his family. I think maybe he can relate to it a little bit, but, uh, I don't know it it lacked that personability and that uh that passion that was in bigger stronger faster um that's a far better documentary if you can find it somewhere it is on netflix is it okay i highly recommend it. that's a fantastic documentary um but yeah this was just kind of lacking i think it uh i think it was a little inconclusive um i don't think it really answered the big question um it, it was a little too ambiguous in that respect um and like i said it just lacked some personality but uh but still kind of an interesting thing to watch i I did appreciate some of the characters if you will they were fascinating people to watch so um okay. it was okay
0: cool that is uh trophy kids which i I saw that you i saw your check- in of it on um letterbox and I was really excited to hear your thoughts on it because uh it's been on my queue for a while um so yeah that that's cool. Um, <laughs> yep. to round out potpourri, uh, for me, I also watched, uh, the finest hours, which I don't really need anything to really, uh, don't really need to go into any depth about it. But it's basically about, uh, it starts Chris Pine and a bunch of different, bunch of different actors, bunch of different accents. Um, but it's basically about the most daring rescue in Coast Guard, uh, history, and it's about basically a tanker, an oil tanker in nineteen fifty-two, I think, was split in half by a, a storm in the winter. Um and it's basically about the rescue effort um for it. And in in it's a really thrilling movie. I thought that the the level to which they depicted the the actual rescue mission, like it's just it's four guys on a small little like like very small ship or boat um that they have to go through like incredible circumstances just to get to the ship to rescue them and like the the stakes of it were established really really well or fairly well <laughs> but um everything else about it just fell really flat. And it's a shame because so many of the actors in it are like really good actors. Eric Bana is in this movie. Michael Raymond James is in this movie. Um, Casey Affleck, um, um, several other people. And probably the biggest issue that I have with it is that it is a Disney fied account of the story. Uh. Um, yeah. It's very much a Disney, it seems very disney in in its depiction of it it's that's the best way i can um, describe it um, there's a concentrated effort or, or there's a there's an emphasis put on the relationship between Chris pine's character and his uh, his fiance or wife in the movie and they I, I will say this from the beginning they they did a really great job um, of establishing it I really bought into the relationship but there's this subplot about how Chris Pine's character had, had had uh, a, a failed rescue mission in his past that the people had died from. And so he kind of has that kind of hanging over his head as he's going out to save these people on this tanker. And I just came away from the movie thinking, man, if they had taken, if they had just omitted the relationship stuff and opened the movie with a depiction of him failing in his rescue mission, had a different studio other than Disney who would, who would do a more harrowing and, and authentic would be the word I would use account of it. Um, instead of just having this very, you know, Disney-fied depiction of it. And they, and they had his arc throughout it chris pine's arc throughout it be about how um how he how he overcame um the the torment of the past of his past mistakes or or how it, if they gave him a more redemptive arc rather than him going home to see his sweetheart uh kind of thing i think that this they could have been a really a really well done movie unfortunately it's a disney product that's just very much a just kind of forgettable adventure rescue movie uh yeah
1: that's a shame i don't think i've even heard of that
0: yeah there were some trailers it came it's a january movie um yeah it's 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 just it's just okay i mean i i don't know it's eh, eh. (laughs) It's not. It's not that good. It's. It's really not that good. Fair enough. Um, So that's the finest hours. It's uh, in theaters and everything. And before we go, um, I want to mention that next week on the podcast we're going to be reviewing Deadpool. Yes, we are. Yes, that's. I'm excited for that. Um, And then also, hopefully, we're going to have a bonus episode devoted to the season one of the Expanse coming out. And then also uh, we're like, we're going to do our Oscar nominee showcase episode. I meant to mention it at the top of the episode, but I didn't. Um, I'm really looking forward to it this year. Nice. Uh, every year we do this where we take, where we have other podcasts, submit clips of uh, discussing a specific category. And we basically do an, a nominee rundown with about a dozen other podcasts. And we've gotten some really great submissions so far. And we have a really great lineup Um uh, yeah so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it so far we have uh, clips from sci-fi on screen and the nerds you're looking for and uh, cine realists and all three of them are just like I'm like super excited for the rest of them and I'm really excited for this year's uh, nominee showcase episode sweet Yep, so that about does it for the Obsessive Viewer for this week. Um, to end this episode, we're going to have Tiny Pick out of the bag for me to watch something, despite me already having homework to do uh, to watch The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. But I'm going to double up and watch something from uh, the bag that you just picked. What did you pick, and what number did you pick from it?
1: Uh, I picked Hulu, uh, 121 to 150. I am going to go with... Uh, one twenty nine, because we're currently one hundred twenty nine minutes into this recording. <laughs>
0: I love it. All right, I'm gonna count. So number one twenty nine is John Ford's stagecoach from nineteen thirty nine. Wow. So that'll be that'll be a nice pairing for. Um, get the bad the ugly next week couple classics yeah uh the description according to hulu it's one of the, it's part of the criterion collection which of which is a great reason to have hulu really because yeah. it has the pretty much most of if not all of the criterion collection available um stagecoach revolutionized the western elevating it from b-movie to the a-list and establishing the genre as we know it today with its quintessential tale of a group of strangers thrown together into extraordinary circumstances uh so yeah i'm looking forward to
1: checking that out that's awesome
0: all right so that's it for us uh, join us next week for our review of deadpool and my thoughts on the good bad and the ugly in stagecoach um yeah any parting words tiny
1: be excellent to each other
0: and i'm i'm just a boy who's standing standing in okay, front of okay. another boy with a podcast Ugh. hoping that you'll end the podcast with me
1: took it too far
0: i did <laughs> okay thanks guys thanks <laughs> This is the obs- Wait, hang on. How do I start it usually? <laughs> Welcome to the Obsessive. Welcome. There we go. Welcome to the Obsessive Viewer. We're a weekly movie and TV.
3: Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loud Like from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash music. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can email the hosts individually at matt, tiny, or mike at obsessiveviewer.com or send an email to the podcast in general at podcast at obsessiveviewer.com. Check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com where we post movie and tv reviews and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment you can also like us on facebook at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer and follow us on twitter at obsessive viewer at obsessive tiny and at i am mike white if you want more obsessive content in your life check out our sister site obsessivebooknerd.com for book reviews author spotlights and a general celebration of reading Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other.
2: That's Matt Damon.